0: Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Lit Service, where we're fans of fiction and purveyors of Donji writing advice. I'm Aaliyah, and if I could choose any hero skill to develop, it would definitely be lightsaber dueling. I just found out it's a thing. You buy a lightsaber and you duel, and life can't get more awesome than that.
1: That is, that is pretty cool. Um, my name is Cameron, and for legal reasons, it would definitely not be lockpicking. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Uh, I'm Kristen, and for legal reasons, it would definitely be grifting. Um, I I want to be the heist person that gets to tell all the lies.
3: I'm Caitlin, and my skill would be thinking on my feet and being able to just come up with something without having thought it through beforehand. That would be my skill.
1: This is definitely, definitely not off the cuff. Was between crazy.
2: between Caitlin, me, and Cameron, we almost have one successful high score.
1: But we it's also well, we have the muscle. Alia is the muscle. Yeah,
0: there you go. <laughs> yeah, I'll
2: defend you guys while you're lying
0: and doing things. <laughs> So today we're going to dig into the nitty-gritty of training your hero. It seems like every book we, we love, every book that comes on the market even, the hero has to have some sort of training to conquer their new world, conquer their new powers. Um, so this is a big part of the writing process. Um, because it's so common, it's easy for these training sequences to sometimes become dull and lifeless, but we want to talk about today how you can keep those bright and shiny instead.
3: Or like really sad and gritty and evil and awful, depending on what kind of book you're writing. <laughs> yeah, depending on what you enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know that training sequences are necessarily obligatory, but it made me um, think about training sequences that I recently read or just the random ones that popped into my head. <laughs> and one of them was like flashbacks from the Graceling, which had a lot of emotional charge to them. If I remember correctly, I haven't read The Grace Ling in quite some time, but I, if I remember correctly, it's flashbacks to her training, which was terrible, because her, her talent, her magical skill, because people have magical skills, has something to do with, like, surviving and, like, being really good at killing people, and so all of her training that went into it uh, was really difficult and, like, traumatizing for her, I think. I might be totally botching this up. But because it was saying a whole lot about her, as a character, and where she came from, I was much more interested in those training montages because more than one thing was happening in the scene. Um, yeah. And then Cameron had a good follow up to that. Yeah, so say,
1: I, also, I also don't know if I agree that training sequences are always obligatory, but they do show up in a lot of places because character growth is a thing and any kind of, you, you could say, becoming a better person could be, could be a training sequence. But <laughs> as part of that, as part of making training sequences significant, like any kind of an arc in a story, you need to tie it to character motivations and the stakes. So, you know, we can go to Way of Kings with bridge four, and it's like, we're going to get better at carrying this bridge because if we don't, we're going to die. We're probably going to die anyway. We might live longer if we can be better at this. You know, so there's some immediate <laughs> there's some immediate pressure and promises made about the stuff that people are trying to learn how to do better.
3: Well, on the flip side of that, though, I mean, there's both like physical training sequences that happen in that book. But there's also like magic system training sequences that happen in the book because that's like a flail and figure it out sort of magic system book. Um, well, it becomes a
1: thing later, right? Because as it goes on, figures out, oh, maybe I have these cool magic things. Well, actually, he hates them at first. But the point being is, like, if I can learn how to use these, maybe we could actually survive. Yeah. But so that's let's even... figure out
2: how long we can stick. to So the it creates wall. this
1: nice conflict because he 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 you know has all this trauma and he's afraid that if he has anything special, the people who are abusing him are going to take it away from him. So he's scared of the magic, but he needs to use it to keep his friends alive. And he needs to learn how to use it quickly or they're all going to die. And so there's just really great stakes and character all tied up in this flailing, please learn now, please.
0: (laughs) I really like that your comment about um, we care about it because of the character stakes. So then specifically in a hard magic system, um, is there anything that training, any way that training changes when you're dealing with a hard magic system? And by that we mean, oh yeah, give us a definition.
3: No, that's what I was about to say. What you were about to say. So you can go ahead and say it. I don't have a definition.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, a hard magic system, I'm pretty sure the the terms hard and soft magic system come from Brandon Sanderson's um, laws of writing themselves. But basically, a hard magic system is a system with very strict rules tied to the laws of physics. There's a reason this works.
3: Not necessarily the laws of physics, but like the laws of whatever magic like there's a scientific approach to magic here
0: where yeah, it's yeah an
3: obvious cause and effect and there are specific things you have to do and specific flaws and things that don't work so like by the end, everybody knows exactly what's happening and why the magic works.
0: how does a magic system approach like that impact the training because it seems like there's a, quite a quite a larger learning curve with a system like that for the main character to overcome
1: so so in a harder magic system which which I don't know if Sanderson coined that term himself, but he definitely popularized it um. And the hardest of systems, magic is basically just another form of science that doesn't exist in our world. So it can literally be. This actually happens in The Way of Kings. Also, we're gonna do experiments. We're gonna see. We're gonna stick you to the wall, and we're gonna time how long you can hang there if we give you this much magic juice. And how much faster we're gonna time you? How much faster can you run on it? And there's consistent, replicatable results based on how you do the magic science. So that's that's that's, that's an approach.
3: Which I, I, um, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about all the different kinds of, like, training montages that happen in specifically Sanderson's books because he's so into hard magic systems. Um, and, I mean, there are a couple of different ways that he's handled it, which were, like, the intense struggle and, like, we need to figure it out or we're going to die of Bridge Four and Kaladin. And then you also have, like, Mistborn, where she learns on the go. What's the main characters in that one. It with me. Then, then, then she she's learning it because she's learning.
1: She has a teacher,
3: right? And um, but they are consciously trying to accomplish something at the same time, so it's not like a training sequence where nothing happens. I guess there are a couple of things like that, but um, there's less. It's more. I mean, part of.
1: Part of the draw of books like that is you want to see the magic and figure out how it works. So it, so I think when we're talking about when we're talking about approaches to portraying training montages and making them interesting genre. I think we're talking about more about this later, but genre plays a huge part. Because if you're writing an epic fantasy that has three prologues and all of it is hard magic, the people who are reading your book are probably going to be more okay with a here is a mentor who's going to explain. Here are the eight. I think it's eight. Here are the eight medals that I'm going to teach you how to use. And here is what each of them do.
3: Well, yeah. And then you also have like Warbreaker, where when we finally find out how the magic works, it's because there's like an irritated professor guy who's like, well, here's how it works. Duh. <laughs> so like, I I mean, I don't know that I always love the way that, I mean, and actually the Rhythmatist is a magic school. And so like, there's all these different hard magic, hard magic systems where you have different reasons that the characters end up training. Like if you're in school and you're stuck and like there's one character that hates it and wants to draw unicorns and not like whatever the weird Rhythmatist monsters are. Have you Angles. The, yes. the chalk. The chalk. My kids read it, and then they went and did like chalk drawings of rhythmist circles down in <laughs> I our, love that. On our <laughs> well, that <laughs> I, I've
1: heard, I think it's a pretty common reaction to reading that book.
3: <laughs> that was fun. Oh, sorry, continue. I, and, and then, well, actually, and there's Grishaverse, which I wanted to talk about, by the, all of the books by Leigh Bardugo, where you have the first one, which is also like a magic school. Not really. It's like a magic.
2: I mean, she's getting trained with other people who are studying magic, magic, magic army basic training, maybe.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, i get along with that. And I mean, that one has the stakes attached to um, whether or not she trains because they have to fix the big, the darkness. What's it called?
2: The folds. <laughs> the
3: folds and the darkling is so hot. But um... no, don't. <laughs> no, no, I'm not saying. Like, don't I get think me started. That. I don't think... say. <laughs> The the very ancient old man. Sorry, spoilers for
2: Ben Barnes. I mean, I can get behind Ben Barnes being beautiful because that's just a fact of life. But if it wasn't Ben Barnes, it's see, I
3: feel like I feel like the Darkling is the reality of what um, Twilight Edward would be like—an ancient person who is then like seducing young
2: children. No, Ed, Edward would be like uh, Harrison Ford, like a really grumpy, oh, mean yo. old man who is tired. Of, I can see of, that being yep, what he is. Yep. <laughs> okay. Sorry, but back on to magic. So
0: I guess with these hard magic systems, um, oftentimes when your magic system is so rigid and so, I don't know, kind of detailed based on science.
3: the p- um, Part of the point of the story is the magic and figuring.
0: Yeah. Out. So it's okay yeah. to spend a little bit more time in training sequences for that, I feel. Um, also, if the magic is going to solve your problems at the end, we need, as as readers, we need to have the chance to see that magic Um, working we need to know its limitations um what it can what it can't do so that when it solves the problem we've already seen the hero go through this training cycle we believe they can do that we believe they know the magic can do that
2: and so we're satisfied when we see that on the page i had a lot of fun reading rhythm of war from uh, a meta perspective of being like okay i'm really bad at understanding magic systems and i know brandon sanderson is going to keep an eye out for readers like me and so anytime he would go really into depth on a bit of magic i'd be like okay this is gonna come up it's gonna be important again and i really appreciate that because as we all know i complain frequently about how bad i am at hard magic systems
3: i i like them but i also think that i am not into them in fact whenever i read a super high fantasy magic system tm book i'm always like man I don't actually like high fantasy and then I get through it and then I'll keep reading and then I'll be like, yeah, I guess now that I understand it, it's okay. But like, I I don't know (laughs) if like the, my attention span is too short or, or I don't know if I just need to stop trying to read like adult high fantasy the same way I read other genres, which is in one sitting, which you cannot do that with, with those bigger books. And, um, and so I just get frustrated. I'm like, I'm only a quarter of the way through this book and I know nothing. Um, but I, I do think it's relevant to think about genre here because a hard magic system and what you can get away with in a middle grade book is very different than what you can get away with in a, an adult book or a YA book. Um, and I think there are different gradations there of how much training and how many sequences and how much like, uh, vague information your reader is willing to absorb without getting it really fast based on who your age group is. So that's something to consider. Like with middle grade... It has to be pretty darn spelled out if it needs to solve things, I think. And then in YA, I think you have a slightly longer attention span where people are willing to wait for answers and will remember things, maybe. And then in adult books, it's anything's fair game, I guess.
0: So that's a good transition point. When you are writing a soft magic system, does training differ at all? And by soft magic, how would you describe soft magic, Kristen?
2: Um... Magic where I don't have to know all the rules to care about how it functions. So Gandalf's magic in Lord of the Rings, couldn't tell you what he can actually do with it. I just know he has it. Um, Even Harry Potter, Harry Potter sort of is like soft magic pretending it's hard magic where there are rules uh, and the characters act like they understand them, but I don't have to. I'm sure she does. She's read Hogwarts, a history, but I have not, and I don't need to, to care about the book because the book isn't really about the magic. The magic is a means to an end or a metaphor or just a fun, shiny thing in a book that's about something else.
3: Which I actually think The Girl Who Drank the Moon by... um...
2: It starts with a K. uh, Kelly Barnhill. There we
3: go. I love Kelly Barnhill. And then I forget her name. (laughs) Anyway, The Girl Who Drank the Moon by Kelly Barnhill is another really great example of of magic, which I, I feel like magic in soft magic systems, it says more about the world and about the characters than it does about the magic. It's not a plot point, it's like a way to illustrate people. Like in Harry Potter, for example, Hermione knows everything, and it's a really great way to show who she is that she knows all the rules. And like in class, which is our training sequ- sequ- sequences in Harry Potter, you have like Ron who's messing things up, and Neville Longbottoms who's blowing things up by accident, and Harry who's like kind of trying to keep his chin above water but can kind of do it. Like it, it shows a lot more about them watching them do this magic stuff than it says about the magic itself. It's like a tool, rather than a plot point. And I'd say the same about Star Wars too, actually. Which I'm going to let someone else talk, because I've been talking a lot, and Cameron hasn't. And we talk over you all the time, Cameron. You talk.
1: <laughs> so, at the risk of making this more talk about just the difference of hard magic versus soft magic, um, I think, especially when you're dealing with whether it's a training sequence or or any any kind of other plot fig you've got going on, you, uh, really, what the difference comes down to is how much the rules of the magic system are used to solve problems. In Harry Potter, magic's not actually used that often to solve problems. Usually, there's like, well, let me let me let me clarify that. I'm getting I'm getting looks <laughs> from Kristen. Let me let me clarify that. So they set out some very specific. Here is a MacGuffin magic thing. We're going to make, we're going to make a polyjuice potion. It does Do this very, something? no, I don't.
2: Okay. It's, it's an item that can be replaced by literally un- any other item in a story. So, so my point being, it if, have if it be could a be potion. a sexy,
1: yeah, it could be, it could be a lamp that turns you into other people. It could be a dog that turns you into other people. What's important. Does this magic thing, the fact that it is a potion and the fact that what ingredients go into it, none of that matters is the soft magic system you know it does this one specific thing and you can predict what will happen and then you go and use it for that specific thing the time turners are another example of this it's set up you can do this thing what do you know it's extremely important to the end of the plot um you're not extrapolating things you could do with it versus there's we go back to we go back to Mistborn, you know, we have these rules. You can't push on metals in other people, but there's hints being dropped along the whole way. Well, maybe, you know, there's some weird stuff going on. I can hear people who are in copper clouds with my sensing powers, and I'm not supposed to be able to do that. And you can put those together and extrapolate that, oh, maybe if you are powerful enough, you can push metals out of someone's body. And what do you know? Spoilers. That ends up being incredibly important to the conclusion.
0: So we can, I think we can take all that and apply it to specific training sequences um, because in a soft magic system, the rules are not the important thing. It seems to me like the shine of a, a training sequence in soft magic comes from the inner character drama, um, and then versus in a hard magic system, the shine of a training sequence comes from "ooh, wow, powers, new, exciting."
2: Yeah, I, I think in both sort of systems, though, you want. I, I think anyway that they're going to get, um, more interesting or more important to your book if you include character drama in there anyway. Like Kaladins would not be that interesting if you didn't have depression tied to it, you know, like um I, I think it needs to be showing something interior about your characters anyway. Uh but I think you all would agree with that anyway.
1: <laughs> whether it's whether it's hard or soft, it has to be character driven. But then if you're using a hard system you're also throwing a whole bunch of extra magic toppings on top of that whereas maybe a soft magic system is more like a thin frosting.
3: Well, and I think sometimes it can just be a a metaphor or a theme. I really just wanted to talk about Frozen because Charlie Holmberg always trashes Frozen magic system. (laughs) But, like, the magic is literally just a metaphor for how Elsa feels about, like, how the world sees her and how she sees the world and, like she hurts people because of who she is and hurts people because of her misconceptions about things and people hurt her and it it doesn't have to make sense and so I kind of like that the conclusion is after everything's happy that she starts making dresses with her magic
2: So, I mean, I agree, but also her magic can create sentient life, and I've got some questions about that. Well,
3: sure, but but it's that's a not soft the point. <laughs> I know, I know, it's not and, the point at all. And it actually all. makes sense because if she, all she wants is like her family and like her friends back. The fact that she makes like this childhood friend, and then like this scary defender guy who's gonna. I, once I took a Who Are You in Frozen quiz, and I was Marshmallow the base character. <laughs> so, but I, I actually. I think that it fits in as long as you're not trying to think about it as a magic system, but as a metaphor for Elsa and her, like, state of mind, so.
0: So what about non-magical training, then? We've talked a lot about powers, but what about other hero skills our hero has to pick up along the way to survive?
2: I think they function similarly. I mean, I was thinking about Ender's game, where Ender has to learn how to use the battle rooms, and... Bean has to help him figure it out in Ender Shadow, and all of that is more about use it, learning the system to solve the problem for the ultimate climax and then seeing how the characters interact with each other. Or if we go back to Way of Kings, he also has to train in not magic things like medicine or spear fighting. And so, I mean, your character, the essence of a narrative is change, and your character has to be learning stuff anyway. So I feel like functionally they work very similarly.
3: Well, and I wanted to say that training sequences, while, like, if you couch them that way as training montages, which makes me think of, like, sports movies, which doesn't make me want to write training montages (laughs) as much as I love sports movies. um, I don't, actually, at all. But um, I I feel like... (gasps) Who would have thought? I think that they're really important for just what Kristen was talking about because you have to show a character learning something, so you can show both how hard it is, or how easy it is, or what makes them special at this thing, or what makes them not special at all at this thing, and it, it is a lot of opportunity, I mean, it provides a lot of opportunities for showing things about your character and the relationships and the people around them, but also for the plot, but also it's really important to include all that information, because growth is the reason that readers understand why something special is happening,
1: so... Right. Because yeah. even even the sports movie isn't the sport. I mean, we're just just throwing this out in the wind. But isn't the sports movie usually the real the real victory was the friends we made along the way? It's the team being a being a thing. And I think I think that extends all over the place, right? Because you get um. I want to make I want to make this really sweeping statement. So we're gonna flash that that dodgy writing part of our. Of our story. <laughs> but I think the best training sequences character growth whatever on the other end something fundamentally has changed about how the character views the world whether it's literally some, something as literal as like like kaladin Bur- sanderson this is really well in a lot of places But kaladin like after he does the surgeon training when he sees someone injured he has an automatic sequence that goes off in his brain here's how you treat that injury so if you, or if you have like someone who becomes a master carpenter they will notice looking at a room oh That table's made pretty well. The door could use rehanging or, you know, whatever. Or um, if someone has acquired, you know, has gone from an abused street urchin to someone having godlike power, how they view the dynamics with the people that they know should shift dramatically from who they were before versus this new person who can fight an army by themselves.
0: So that's our time for this part of the podcast. Does anybody have any final thoughts? (laughs) I was gonna ask.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I was just gonna say that that viewpoint skill set thing and like the change over time, I'm not sure I've seen that done in a book where I've seen people at the beginning or a character at the beginning of a book not have that voice and then slowly over time acquire that voice, at least not in a way that was conscious enough for me to absorb it. I'm not always the closest of readers. I'm sure it's been done. But I I love that that's a real thing. Like if you've ever learned a language, Like, when you first start listening to it, it doesn't even sound like separate words. And then eventually you, like, slowly um, pick things up. Um... And, and that's really how it works. And we only have 10 minutes, so good.
0: good yeah, quality. let's go ahead and move on to the portion of our podcast where we critique an audience submission. We try to keep these critiques non-prescriptive, but you can see this submission for yourself on our website and see all of our notes about it. Um, you can view it at litservicepodcast.wixsite.com slash litnation. If you would like a first chapter critique from us, you can find our submission guidelines there. So a quick summary of this week's chapter. Odette gets thrown in a cage because of magic? Also, kindred bonds.
2: True love soulmates? Ooh. <laughs> That's not, I'm sorry I, to this author like for a giving little, it a really like a bad.
1: huge disservice.
2: <laughs> I agree, actually, but I, I'm i not good at pitching on the fly and I didn't think to write a summary so we ahead have, of time. We have, I'm so a super, sorry.
1: we have a super secret aged thief person who really doesn't like the government that gets thrown in a cage because there's some kind of weird soulmate magic thing going on.
3: Is it soulmate magic or is it just, I don't know if I got soulmate overtones. Well, we're going to,
1: we're going to, I think we're going to touch on that when we hit second look, but.
3: All right. Well, let's go ahead and start with
2: things we like.
1: I love the first line.
2: I loved it too.
1: It was, de- it was a, wait, what? But in the best possible way.
2: I have it. I'll read it. He was silent until the day I threw the snarky secretary out of the second story window.
1: But <laughs> <laughs> well, this is not the end of it though. It keeps going. The voice is really great.
2: I agree. I thought there was some really funny voice stuff and good descriptions throughout here. Um, for instance, I liked the line that says, My heart was racing like a rabbit that had drunk uh, ten too many Red Bulls. I thought that was very funny. Um, and some of the more gorgeous voice stuff was, like, "She she's sort of passing out, I think, and she says, I was swimming in honey, stars flickering in my eyes like my very own paparazzi. and The voice was just really great. It was consistent.
1: Yeah, that one stuck out to me, too. I've never heard passing out be described as swimming in honey before, but it made sense to me. I have, but only
2: in the context of the Starless Sea where a person is literally passing out in a sea of honey. (laughs) 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 That's the only time.
3: (laughs) I liked a lot of the funny voice, especially in the context of, like, the people she interacts with like on her radio it sounds like like there's one of her friends who says you're terrible at this and like laughs about it i do have something i want to talk about about that later but i thought that the promise of relationships and fun interaction was there which i was all over um and i really liked there was a government person who said he wore medals with obvious pride and he wore a lot of them that was great
0: what are some things that could
3: use a second look Well, I can go first because none of you are jumping on this. I feel like my biggest concern here is I'm not sure that the story is beginning in the right place. Like, I loved that first line. I thought that was so great, but then it's immediately kind of ungrounding and I'm not really sure what's happening in this scene. Um, And I don't have any emotional connection to what happens after this. Um, I mean, we start in the middle of action. She throws someone out a window and and we spend the rest of the scene trying to play catch up while she gets, like, arrested and thrown in a cage. Oh camera i was okay with it really were you okay with it, <laughs> yeah
2: um I, mean,
1: I have i mean i have some other points about some of the places it went that i want to discuss but as far as yeah I don't
2: know. i'm more on caitlin's side here i i think if i had understood better what odette's initial plan was or why she needed to throw madam secretary out of a window which is very what different the group from the secretary, by the way. Exactly. i would not sure it was the
1: I might say, if you want to make the first line even better, just say Madam Secretary yeah. out because it just raises the, the impact. <laughs> yeah.
2: but, but I guess I just didn't understand like what the philosophy and the ideology of the group shoes with is and what they were hoping to accomplish. And so it made me sort of feel like I should have been getting a lot of character background from that brief action story, but because I didn't understand what the motivations were, it didn't quite hit the way I was hoping it would.
3: Yeah, I mean, it seemed like such a long shot based on what happened in the scene. Like, she gets pretty handily captured and then thrown into a cage and seems like they might like cut her into little pieces. I don't know. Um, it, It just seemed like there was a lot at stake for her to just throw someone out the window, and I was really interested to know what on earth was going on and how she got to that place um there were a lot of other things too like we find out later she's an infamous criminal like what like i would have loved to have known some of this stuff at the beginning and to know like that that they wanted her so badly they wanted to capture her so badly and there was also some tonal dissonance for me where we had like that funny joking and then we have her like crying in a cage and then we had like i just i didn't feel like it all meshed together wasn't sure what kind of book this was by the end
1: that was that was kind of my biggest point of 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 second lookiness was we get we get to the point where she's been captured and then we get to she's in the cage for me the tonal dissonance was absolutely jarring because we went from this very happy go lucky I threw a woman out of the window I'm having the best time of my life thank you very much to I'm a broken prisoner of war in a cage and they're gonna experiment on me and this is you know rightfully soul crushing but it, it the, the shift these seem like completely different people. Um, it seemed like completely different books and i think at that point i and i think at that point we get maybe some of the wrong information so like for me i was expecting maybe get some more reflection on man it was it was worth it or man it wasn't worth it to throw her out of the window because whatever the reason was
2: sort of like in the second thor movie where thor is like dangling at the beginning it's like i bet you're wondering how i got here right like i i would have liked a little moment of that sort of nasal gazey.
1: so for me that's why i'm okay with the story starting here i just think it stopped doing the legwork to keep the start once she gets captured at that point we're not getting the information we need anymore
3: Right. I, actually, I honestly thought we were in a training sequence at the beginning of this where she has friends joking with her online on the comms and she has, like, this person who's too slow. And then I'm like, oh, no, her, her life is on the line here by the end. And I, I did not get that at the beginning.
2: I want to talk about the kindred bond because I think we've yeah. got some questions mm-hmm. about this. Yeah. Um, There's a point where Odette mentions that everyone knows the story of Rachel and Jamie. Um. And then she sort of talks about it, but doesn't really. And based on the evidence that we were given in those few paragraphs, I couldn't actually figure out what had happened to them. My brain went straight to like, oh, this is soulmate's magic. This is exciting. Um, in part, because at the beginning of the book, you have a guy speaking in her brain for the first time. And it made me wonder if that was what was going on. But it would have helped to have more of an idea of what exactly the kindred bond is or what the stakes yeah, are I- with it.
1: Where where I was at after after reading it, I was like, this could just be someone describing really poetically what your first crush is like.
2: I figured it was more than that, since was I mean, I banned by the I government. Thought, like, maybe,
1: this is, <laughs> maybe this is some kind of weird dystopian thing, where in this universe, people who are aromantic are the majority instead of the minority. But I I don't know. I don't know. The point is, as written, it could be... Or, or, or it could be you're literally two people sharing telepathic thoughts across distance and you can hand lightsabers to people if you put it behind your back at the right.
0: <laughs> we don't
1: know. We don't know. Is it forced diode or is it just Mills school crush? It's not elaborated enough.
0: That's our time for today. But thanks to this author for submitting. We enjoyed reading your work. Our next guest will be Namina Forna, author of the upcoming epic fantasy YA novel, The Gilded Ones. If you'd like a critique from Namina, submit your work by January 14th. If you like what you've heard, please check us out on Patreon, where you can get bonus content like hot seat critiques and early access, and participate in a writing group with Lit Service crew members. It takes a whole team of creatives to make Lit Service, and patrons help us keep going. Thank you to all of you who have already become patrons and are keeping us on the air. If you want to ask us questions, tell us we're awesome or whine about how your writing is going. You can find us on social media or email us at litservicepodcast at gmail.com. Please remember to like, share, and review the podcast. It helps us grow. Thanks for listening to Lit Service. We'll see you in two weeks.